and I've seen biblical points for both sides. I would have a hard time thinking that the Apostle Paul, when dealing with Christians and what they're dealing with in their daily lives, wouldn't address what they're dealing with in their daily lives. Like you're dealing with these racial tensions or whatever, let's deal with them in the church. We should talk about them in the church. We should love each other in the church. Thank you for tuning in to the Removing Barriers podcast. I'm Jay. And I'm MCG. And we're attempting to remove barriers so we can all have a clear view of the cross. This will be part one of a two-part conversation discussing social justice and the gospel. This is episode number 12 of the Removing Barriers podcast. In this episode, we will be discussing social justice and the gospel. We have some friends with us. Today we have Josh and Marie with us. Josh is a software engineer and Marie is a nurse living in the eastern part of the United States. We've known them for the better part of a decade, I'm pretty sure. And we have seen their walk for the Lord, their love for the Lord, and we value highly what they think about the issues we're going to talk about today. And so we are very happy to have them on the podcast with us. Josh and Marie, welcome to the Removing Barriers podcast. Thank you. It's good to be here. Thank you for having us. Great. So as I said earlier, we will be discussing social justice and the gospel. But before we dive deep into all the questions we have, what is social justice? Social justice is a concept that's fairly fluid and everything that we're talking about in this podcast, whether it's Black Lives Matter, critical race theory, everything seems to have fluid definitions because the left is very loosey-goosey with their words and what they mean. But basically, social justice is the concept that everyone should be treated fairly and that government should have a greater role in making sure that happens. If you look on Wikipedia, the official wording of the definition is that it's a concept of fair and just relations between individual society, but it's demonstrated or it's brought about by redistributing wealth, creating greater opportunities for people of a lower class or lower income level by means of more government intervention, more programs and things of that sort of so that type of uh, intervention and increasing social privileges based on what oppressed group that you're in. So that's the basic overall description of social justice. I'm pretty sure if you ask anyone, they will probably give you a slightly different definition, but that's the meat and potatoes of it there. Yeah. Josh, Murray, any insight on that? I think the core of it is justice. And you need to make sure that the justice part is in there, no matter what. Like, it, it becomes defined in many different ways, but the the root and ground of the issue is justice in the end, and justice as it should be done for each person. Um, and I think if we like we focus on the social part, but in reality, people are talking about justice just in general, justice with police, justice in the way people are given or, you know, get their jobs, justice in a lot of ways. So you can say it's social, but it's not just a social issue in large part. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so another term we wanted to define will be white privilege. How would you guys define white privilege? I would define white privilege as an inherent benefits that I receive because of the color of my skin. Because of majority as well. Because probably. of the majority of the culture. But it's it's an inherent inherent benefits that you receive just based on the way that you look. Or the way that you come across, too. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, I, I mean, some people bring it down to a point of just skin color. Some people can bring it down to a point of how you act in it. But it, in, in large part, if you're just talking about white privilege, then it's based on the color of your skin, which there's not, like, not everyone in this country that is white is... Privileged. sees themselves as privileged or and they're not necessarily mm -hmm. all privileged like 
the term white trash or whatever, general people that are in that state are not considered privileged people and they're not usually shown a lot of benefits. Do they get more benefits than someone's black who's black? I don't know, but that's so so white privilege has a focus on the privileges that come mainly from the color of your skin, but it's I don't know that it's completely there. You know what I mean? Right. Recently Oprah Rinf was doing one of her talks and she had a number of white folk on and she was and she was saying that inherently because of the, the color of someone's skin in this term white a white person they have privilege they have that inherent privilege that she doesn't have even as a billionaire and to me yeah. it's like where where do you draw the line where do you draw the line to realize that most folks don't of course we know racism exists but most folks doesn't judge anybody based on the color of their skin based upon i think it is based largely upon abilities as as you said um josh based on how you come across to some people of course if you you know we always say this, the same goes that you win, you win more friends with honey than with you know lime or vinegar yeah or with vinegar it it, it kind of give that same connotation so if you come across as no matter the color of your skin as rude and uncouth maybe you won't get that priv- a privilege or people won't take you as seriously as if you come across as kind and loving. I oh go ahead. Oh god. I was just thinking as you were saying that. Um, I I was reminded of a story I heard recently of a woman who was leaving a store, like a Target or something like that, and the alarm went off, and it was her and a black gentleman that were both leaving the store at the same time, and the Target employee, or whoever, uh, store employee stopped the man and asked to look at his bag and, you know, search through the things. And she said to him, said to the employee, do you need to look at my bags? And he said, oh, no, you're fine, ma'am. And just, she went out. She got out to her car and she looked in her Mm -hmm. purse and she realized that she had gotten a gift from someone and there was a security tag on it. And she was the one that set it off. And she felt like that was a really clear, real life example of kind of that white privilege of he's not going to that that employee did not see her as a shoplifter as a threat to the store when in fact she was the one that set it off so i thought that was really interesting yeah and again you could get down to the point of if she had been dressed in a bedraggled way and smelled a certain way then it might have given a different impression as well so but a lot of it is the impression of the eyes it it also gets down to just from the white privilege aspect like i'm not scared when i get stopped by a police officer about him you know being trigger happy and possibly shooting me i'm scared about getting a ticket but a black male or maybe even a black female who gets stopped by a police officer there's that fear for a lot of them some of it's played up by media, but there's there's also that real fear. I mean, I, I remember a friend of mine in high school who was driving home with, he's black and a couple of his black friends, and all of a sudden they get pulled over by police officers, their car gets surrounded and guns are all pointed uh, at the car. And it was because there was a report of some, like three black males and a similar uh, type vehicle and it was stolen or something like that or they were doing something wrong but they were in fear for their lives and it's not necessarily assumed that way uh if you're a white guy with two other white guys driving down the road so there's there is in that aspect just on the cursory level a level of white privilege that generally is is there like i feel for guys that are stressed out by am i going to get shot by a cop if i get pulled over or anything like that but i you know i haven't thought of it much i'm going through a book on like 
hillbillies and things like that and the prejudices against them and the rundown state and how many people are into drugs now and all of that and it makes me wonder and again i'm not in this realm at all i'm just beginning to understand it but does that same thing get applied to people you know depending on their state of being you know it could be a white person that looks drugged out or smoking a lot or has whatever rundown state of clothes do they get assumed upon that they're doing something wrong as well like i was saying it with with a person walking through target or something like that is it just assumed upon and, and some of it i think some of the impressions i think have been created by hollywood in a lot of ways based on movies the way that people are portrayed right the black guy who's part of the gang or you know the successful businessmen that are yeah writer. yeah it, it, it's just it, you see someone a certain way and like I, I i run the basketball ministry with a bunch of black guys and they're great guys like sometimes you know they get upset with each other and want to fight we've never had a fight or something like that but they're just they're they're guys that want to play basketball they listen to um, me speak or other people speak i i love seeing these guys they're all friendly they're all great but because of so many different impressions someone looking at them can be like what are they here for? And well, I, I think we'll get into more stuff later on, but from white privilege, like if someone sees me, they're probably not thinking that nearly the same way as if someone sees them. Or if someone sees you and me, is there any different scene between us? And there shouldn't be, but how many times there are? And it could be based on accents, you know, someone could have a, a, an impression of you based on your accent or based on the way you carry yourself. And, and so it, there's a yeah. lot of barriers that are out there, but skin color is definitely one that affects in a large way. Yeah, definitely. And as I listen to you explain that, Josh, what comes to my mind is, is that necessarily wrong? Because... For instance, if I hear a different accent, like I have a Caribbean accent, if I hear a different accent, I immediately say, hey, where's that accent from? That's not necessarily wrong, you know, in the sense that I can hear someone that look different from me or sound different from me and say, hey, where's that from? Because I've been in stores and I've been talking or asking someone something and they say, where in the Caribbean are you from? Or... One guy came up to me and I say, oh, you're from the Caribbean. And I tried to deny it. And, well, I guess <laughs> I, was, I, was too, I was well marked. But in a sense like that, it, these identifying traits that we have, whether it's the color of a skin or accent or whatever, there's nothing wrong necessarily if someone identifies by them. I guess when, where, where it becomes wrong is when they start taking it and then attribute attributes outside of it for for instance if you have an accent that does that mean you're dumb or you can't read you're illiterate or does right. it, or because you have a, right. a black skin that doesn't mean that you're prone to violence or whatever the case may be is when you start attributing right. those just based on their external characteristics that you see i think that's when it becomes a problem right no, i agree those assumptions get made right well and and that's like, like anytime you take someone and you put, boil them down to a category instead of a person then you've lost the aspect of the person completely and in general i understand the concept of stereotypes or or statistical categories or whatever you want to do but in reality and in, definitely in christ's reality that's a person to be loved, not, and a person to, to get to know and uh, 
to show Christ's love to and not someone that you just put into a category and assume certain. Like I, I remember uh, I remember a preacher that spoke at college one time and he was saying that that he was going to a church and he was doing revival services or something like that there and he was staying with this lady that they called Big Mama. <laughs> and Big Mama had she had a son that was wayward and so he was just staying with her and he said, can you pray for her, him? And, and then he went out witnessing that night and he went out on the streets and he was going where like clubs were and all of that. And he was witnessing in the parking lots and he was talking with people and he was talking with, he approached a group and he started talking with them and they're like, this big guy, huge guy comes up to him and he's like oh shut up that's a bunch of coward stuff and you don't know what you know you don't know what you're talking about or something like that and he said no you shut up you think this is cowardly i'm the one that's standing out here in front of you guys and i'm presenting something and you're the one that's being the coward hiding behind that or something along those lines anyways he really like rebuked the guy right there and then mm-hmm. he went on for another hour or two hours and he was tired and went back home or went back to Big Mama's house, went went to sleep. And like a half an hour later, he wakes up to Big Mama screaming and yelling because, and she's like, come down, come down. And it was her son. And her son was the big guy that he had, he had uh, rebuked in front of everyone else and told him that he wasn't the one being the coward but anyways if you stereotype it you stereotype that guy as just a jerk and not someone who needs the truth you just avoid them in general you you put someone in a category and oh he's too hard to hear the gospel oh he's too far for whatever it is and anytime you put someone in that category you lock out the work of god you lock out a lot of things I think you're bringing up some amazing points because the Christian response to the vitriolic attacks that I'm going to put white people in quotations, but white people are receiving both in the media, online, has really pushed a lot of Christians to maybe overreact as so as to say things like, you know, white privilege doesn't exist and and things like that. But the way you're talking, you're bringing a very even keel gospel-centered look at it. And correct me if I'm wrong, if I summarize what you're saying, basically, there is a tendency for people to make assumptions about others. And like MCG said, maybe even attach some attributes that may not necessarily be true, just based on how someone looks or how they present themselves. And as Christians, we need to be cognizant of the fact that while we have that tendency because we're fallen creatures, we must look at them the way Christ sees them, i.e. a person to be loved, a person to be reached, a person to be uh, valued as an image bearer of Christ. And I think that you're bringing out some really excellent points because for many people who are, who profess Christ, it's almost like walking on a, on the edge of a knife. It's very, it's a balancing act almost. And I think that these, these stories, these anecdotes that you're bringing out really highlights that issue. I think that's really great. In your opinion, we talked about social justice and we define the concept of justice. And we know that the scriptures talk about justice and how God is a God of justice. He is just like God. He is the definition of justice. So do you think that the concept of justice or social justice is a biblical one in your opinion? In society in general, not necessarily. Uh, And what I mean by that is, Mm you expect the fallen world to act like the fallen world, right? The, and anytime you're dealing with a fallen world, I, you shouldn't expect the realities of a heart that has changed to be there. So in Christ's 
church and in, in the world where Christ changes mm -hmm. hearts, absolutely social justice should be there in every way. I mean, it even goes like one of Martin Luther King's things. I went through a biography on him recently. His point went to the redistribution of wealth to even the playing ground there uh, on top of all of the other stuff that he was doing, yeah. which that would work if it's the church and if the church is where it ought to be, because that was what happened in the church, right? They, they shared all things common and it didn't matter race, creed, color, barbarian, Scythian, bond, free, male or female, all are one in Christ. There was no distinction, you know, whether you were a slave or whether you were free, you were all one in Christ. And so, of course, there was social justice. And, you know, and, and James even goes to the point where he talks about how dare you have preference to someone who's rich. Everyone's prone to do, you know, if you're in the presence of a billionaire, there's a propensity to be a little nice to the billionaire or make <laughs> them want to like you, you know? Yeah, yeah. Will you adopt me, you know? <laughs> But that's the the reality of Christ and the church is it blows all of those stereotypes out. It blows all of it away. As as Paul said in Acts, we are all one made all men one blood, right? We all came from the yeah. same descendancy. There, there's there's no difference in reality. We make those differences. Like we we dream them up in our minds as though I'm better, I'm smarter, whatever, as though someone who is in the same shoes wouldn't be a hundred times further than me. But Christ's church, when it is the church it should be, really brings all that down to they're a brother or sister in Christ, and what I have is to be theirs, and I'm to love them and to sacrifice for them and to, you know, share my wealth with them and help them and build them up and to really love them. And so social justice will work within the church, but social justice in society, you're expecting people to love when they don't have the love of Christ. And that just, or it, you're expecting them to look out for these other people without having the love of Christ that right. pushes them that way. Right. And, and, and when, as the Bible says, we're all inherently selfish. We're all in, inherently self-loving. But do you really expect me to reach out to others and really love them? Right. I, like we were talking with some of our friends that are black recently, and they said, well, we just don't talk about these things. We, we, just, we just don't talk about them with white people. And that that's sad in, in, in many ways because I, I would want to know it. And we kind of pushed them on it more recently because we wanted to know what they're going through. Like that's one of the issues is, and it's one of my yeah. downfalls in love. And God's really been pushing me towards loving better recently, but getting to know what they go through, right? What, the struggles, the hardships. Their perspective. Yeah. Like like they had have a child recently. That can be hard, you know, if you view raising a child where the child is going to be discriminated against, you know, or if you're thinking down the road, what if what if my child gets shot by the police? Those are hard things to face. But I hadn't put myself in their position to think about it. it it's like uh, I think it's Tim Keller said. A white person can go to a conference on racism and walk away and not think about it for another six months or years or for the rest of their life. But a black person has to face it the very next day. And so it, it's about knowing what people are going through and loving them and helping them through that and walking with them through that. Um, and not assuming that you understand it all. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I don't, you know, I, again, I, I get freaked out about a ticket, um, but that's not nearly the same level. It's not nearly the same level as fearing for my life. This is the Removing Barriers podcast. 
We will be right back. Antivirus software protects you from malware. But to protect your privacy and security on the web, you need a virtual private network or VPN. Did you know that Ivacy offers an easy to use VPN app for each of your favorite devices? From Windows, Macs, and smartphones to smart TVs, tablets, and browser extensions, and even gaming consoles. Get Ivacy for your choice of devices to secure your connection, browse with privacy, and access content from anywhere in the world. Go to ivacy.com or click the link in the show notes. Use coupon code removing barriers for a 20% discount. Yeah, so to add to that, Josh, because I think a lot of the, and I'm not claiming to speak for the black community because I'm, of course, Caribbean American. I'm not, I wasn't raised in an African-American family and necessarily my family doesn't necessarily have the same history or background as a African-American would have but a lot of it because if i look at the statistics a lot of it i think some of it is fear pumped up by the media because and we know we're going to get into it a little bit later down when they talk about police and being pulled over stuff like that but i honestly have never been in fear for my life by being pulled over for the police i've been pulled over about twice i think once for speeding another one was the officer you said was speeding, but the judge kicked it out. So I'm not going to call it speeding, but whatever the case may be. But I've never, I've never felt when the officer was coming up, oh no, something's going to happen to me at this moment. I just never felt that way. I was more like, how can I get out of this ticket? Can I talk my way out of this ticket, to be honest? And it never worked. I've never really been able to talk myself out of a ticket. But that's to me... When the officer is walking up, that's what's going through my mind. What can I say to him? That's the truth, of course, that I can say that he will say, oh, you know what? Go go on your way. You know, Amazing. but I, and but my experience might be different. And I think one of the big things that I'm instill I'm gonna instill in my boys, and I think that all of us instilling our kids, is just the respect of authority. Because the officer represents an authority in your life in my life and whosoever life they're pulling over and if you have that respect for authority aka don't try don't be the the judge the jury and the prosecutor of your case because we have a a, a method in this country that we go by you know accept the ticket and go to court right. and fight it i think a lot of these things can be solved even if we we say in a social justice way if sometimes attitudes that change even towards the officer or even towards the authority figure because i think it starts even in the home how do your kids respond to you when you give them a command are they corrected in the home because if they're not corrected in the home a lot of times they're not going to be they're not going to want a correction in school from their teacher they're not going to want a correction from their boss at work they're not going to want a correction when the police officer pull them over and i think a lot of it sometimes has to do with with the fact that 75% of black homes are fatherless homes. They are single parent. And most of these are single mothers raising a bunch of boys or whatever the case may be. Men, boys that will become men who, are, who have never was instilled, hey, your actions have consequences. Like for, in, for instance, my dear wife went and bought my boys toy guns. And they have this little thing that you can a projectile that you can push in the front. And when you pull the trigger, it flies out, of course. So I told my oldest son, you can have the gun, you can play with it, but you only can be firing the projectile when you're in the basement. You know, two nights ago, he was in the kitchen and I heard the projectile going off. What did I do? I, I punished him. I took away the gun from him and said, you can't have it because you disobey. It's something as simple as that to know you know, a night ago, I, I had him and he saw the gun on top of the fridge. And he said, he said, Daddy, can I have that? And I said, no. Do you know why you can't have it? And he said, because I disobeyed. That is thing that you can be instilled in an early age. Your actions have consequences and obedience to authority is important. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, w I would say that, from what I understand, and again, my scope is limited, but white homes are trying to catch up on the fatherless homes yeah, they are. category. I would also say that problem is the assumption of the of the person in authority, right? Like you can have your sons behaving that way, but if the police officer, whoever it is, a judge or jury or whatever, has dealt with people, you know, five people, ten people that have not behaved that way leading up to it. They may make certain assumptions when they're coming and approaching your child. Now, the way your child acts after that point will can definitely help diffuse that, but it, it's it's kind of like when you deal with something over and over, however many times, and, and it you, you usually remember the worst moments, right? You know right. that that's why people so many times the ratings on products are the people who had a bad experience and that, that's why they say word of mouth is one of the biggest things because you will tell 10 more people about a product that you hate and a product that you'd like to find but you weren't you know like in love with or something like that and so you tend to remember those bad experiences and so if you have a bad experience with a group of people whether it's blacks or whites or type of white or a certain type of black or whatever and you remember that then the frustration can build over time and then when you enter into a situation you can let that frustration out even if the person didn't have anything wrong that they were doing definitely the, again the issue is the hearts of man right it's hard like i i just remember like there's, we know some good police officers, some really good police officers who love God, all of that. But I've also been with a friend and going through a parking lot and he was walking and he almost ran into some lady on accident and the lady was with a guy and the guy starts cursing my friend out and he says, what's wrong with you? You want me to throw you in jail? And he pulls out his badge, he's off duty he lords it over him like this huge like he's on some huge power trip uh, and like you don't mess with me ever that's not a guy i would want in any police officer's uniform doing anything in any way shape or form because he's got some attitude right. about he's more powerful more important whatever those people are out there too and so definitely so, you know, he experiences some frustration. That's not a guy I would want throwing his frustration out on anyone. You know, he was ready to beat up my friend in a parking lot when he didn't even touch the guy's wife. He was just walking and almost accidentally ran, run, run into her, and the guy just flips out on him. That's an issue. And, and in, a, in our fallen mm -hmm. world, that's what happens. And that's why it has to be a turning to Christ. You, you have to entrust Christ with your life. You have to um, treat it all in his way, right? When, when I'm trusting in the sovereignty of God over my life, I can walk through and have peace in those situations as Paul did in so many different situations. Because Christians were looked down on in so many ways. The Jews were looked down on. Like before Paul ever makes it to Rome, all the Jews were sent out of Rome according to Acts, and that's where how he ended up meeting Aquila and Priscilla was because all the Jews were sent out of Rome. So there was obviously some prejudice against Jews back then. And then eventually he's going to meet Caesar, you know, and he was probably prejudiced against, but he was trusting God with each of those steps. And he, that's, right. that's where it has to go back to Christ, where you know, it's it's a lot easier for me to say it, but, you know, driving down the road, I have to trust Christ with my life and everything I have to trust Christ with my life. And for someone who has more fearful points, they have to trust Christ with their life. They have to trust him to take mm -hmm. care of them and that they won't die before he wants them to die and he'll take care of them through every step. I think it's important to teach and to train as 
um, MCG was saying. Yeah. Um, you do the work. You do the bringing kids up the way that God would be honored and glorified in the best way. And then it's kind of that trust in him. You teach them and you train them and you show them the truth and then trust um, for your own life and for their lives. And and from for us um, training up our kids, one thing is I like that they're in this area because that ex- they get exposed to so many different so much diversity background. Yes, like I I went from Colorado to Texas. In Texas, I had very little interaction with other races. I was in Arkansas for just under a year, and definitely <laughs> nothing there. <laughs> And then we moved here and it was, <laughs> it was so refreshing. Cause I, well, I, I don't know that I was refreshed then, but it, it's been so refreshing because I grew up with people that were black were from Ethiopia, from India, from Egypt, all of these, these different places. And it was just normal, right? That these are just people you go to school with, you go to church with and it was so nice because there wasn't the whole pre predisposition to it. Like my, my parents tried to make sure that it kept us away from prejudice, but I, like I had a great uncle that was severely prejudiced and he was a deacon in a Baptist church in Texas. Oh, wow. And it actually turned my grandfather off to the gospel uh and christianity because he's like that's not right and my grandfather was unsaved and then i um my grandfather my other grandfather he was prejudiced and my parents tried to shield us from a lot of that stuff you know there's definitely been prejudiced points that looking back on it i can see now but i didn't really understand it that much as a kid growing up And then when I was here, I grew up in this kind of a background and it, it really helped me in so many different ways. And it's nice for my kids to grow up around that with different races, different backgrounds, all of it. And it's not a big issue, but make, I think now where we are with society now and, and understanding more of what has come out of all of this, because for me, uh, trying to understand where people that are black and whatever other background where they're they're going through has helped and so I want to push our kids in that direction where they show love and understanding that people aren't dealing with things or having to deal with the same things the way that you are and you need to love them understand them and help them and encourage them and be there as a good friend to them yeah, and that's a good segue into the next question I want to ask you guys because, you know, the the concept of social justice and white privilege and all these things kind of c- come out of critical race theory and the wokeness. How do you think, you know, wokeness and critical race theory has crept it into the church and how has it affected it? Depends on the church. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, because some churches won't even really address yeah. race and some will address it and some will go overboard on it and some not so much uh like i think one oh go ahead okay. i was just gonna say one quick observation is just the shutting down of anyone who doesn't fit the criteria to talk like like with the critical race theory, like you're basically not allowed to discuss these issues unless you're one of these minorities, minorities or oppressed people. Right. Um, so you you can't speak to any of this because you don't understand. You're not oppressed. You haven't experienced it. And to me, that's that's dangerous just in general. But Absolutely. Especially so in the church it just shows such a disregard for people and it shows a disregard for truth. It shows a disregard for wisdom. I mean, there could be a white 
you know, a white guy that's 60 years old and has a magnitude of wisdom because he's walked with the Lord for 40 years or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, but he's not allowed to speak to these issues because he's not black. So I think that that's a really dangerous outflow of that. Well, and it also, we talked about this before, it shuts people down and devalues their opinion or whatever. And whenever you do that, you turn people off, right? And you almost push people to the other Mm -hmm. side of things. Whenever, whenever someone is, so I'll start out with, I don't understand what a black person goes through in the U S and I can, I understand someone saying you you have no idea what I go through because I agree. I, I don't. I haven't, you know, I, I've probably, I've probably experienced reverse prejudice at some points, but that could have been completely perceived. You know, whenever you're in the minor- minority in some area, you can feel like um, people are looking differently at you, that um, they're thinking badly about you, whatever it is. We're in India. Yeah. <laughs> like when we were in India, we were, we went to this one area and we were definitely the only white people there the westerners and we got like pretty some pretty hostile looks yeah and 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 so when whenever you're in the minority you feel a certain way right um but when whenever you just say to the majority you can't talk or add anything can't be part to of this, this conversation yeah then it just frustrates people and it, it it's kind of like with the the nfl with everything that happened with Drew Brees and he was like, I'm still going to stand for the flag. And he took a lot of flack from that. And the focus continued on, we're going to kneel. But my, my, my struggle with that is I, I understand it. And I, I completely understand like Malcolm Jenkins, that he grew up in an America that was different from Drew Brees and his grandfather was in world war two. And, came back and wasn't celebrated he was sent to the back of the bus and that's a completely different thing and i can understand someone like that not wanting to reverence the flag in the same way that drew Brees does i can understand all of those things but then you're doing something on the other end that's offensive to people and do you expect those people's hearts to change towards you when you're doing something that's offensive to them and that's the problem with critical race theory is when you devalue people's opinions and what they want to express and all of that, then you kind of push them to another side. Like if, if you're going into a group that says, we're just going to ignore everything that you have to say, and we don't want you to talk at all, you're not going to stay in that group. You're going to go away from it. And, and that's, that's a problem with critical race theory is the alienation. Well, and the other aspect of it is the the definition of of it in general. Like, um, because you're this way, you're automatically oppressed, which is dangerous. I think just from a biblical perspective, because it's looking at yourself as such a victim of life or whatever and i mean if you're a female and you're black critical race theory says that you're automatically oppressed and to me that's devaluing who god made you um he he chose the color of your skin he chose your gender Mm -hmm. that's something that is unique to you i mean it's it's concerning that that's kind of the stance overall of of that theory and seeing yourself that way i think yeah and um i think one of the a big issue with it as well is is saying that because you happen to be white or because you happen to be especially if you're a white male therefore implicitly you are this way implicitly you are mm-hmm. you are the oppressor mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you're black you know and if you're female and if you're lesbian, because you fall in different intersectionalities, then you are d- by nature oppressed. And it's just, I think it goes, 
and this is the same thing with racism and all these things. It, it goes to the heart where someone can't know. You know, can I look at someone and say right. they're racist because they're white? I can't because I don't know the person's heart. Just like I can't look at someone and say, well, this person's implicit in my oppression just because they're white because I don't know the person's heart. Sins of the heart are the hardest one to determine because they, if they're not act out, quite honestly, we just don't know. And even when they are acted out, we don't know the intentions on why they were acted out. Right, um, right. And what the person was thinking in that process and all of that. It, we're, we're a society that judges a lot and very quickly without knowing all the facts. Yep. Like, just remember, there's well, there's been so many famous court cases where the person was acquitted and not just O.J. Simpson, the uh, the lady that killed her well, yeah, or was, was accused of yeah, killing Anthony. her kids and all of that. And everyone automatically judged them and then they they were acquitted and, and people were so upset. And I'm like, I didn't sit in a courtroom for however many days listening to all the facts to determine <laughs> that, you know, this person's guilty or not guilty, but people have already judged them. They've, right. they've already laid down this judgment of what a person's like, what their heart was, why they did it. You know, was this person killed because the person was prejudiced? We don't know. I mean, the person could just be a jerk to everyone or, you know, hmm. brutal to everyone. Um, but it gets put into that category. Um, and I, we have to be careful with judging, um, but our society does it all over the place um, in so many different ways. And you can see it very much on social media. Like as soon as something comes about, comes out, there's so many things, you know, harsh comments, all of this, you know, and there are many times that people have been completely wrong in their judgments, but they'll just lash out and they'll judge. And we're a critical nation, and we all view ourselves as having super valuable opinions. <laughs> and um, that's the way we act. And it's sad, but that's the way we act. Yeah. It's incredibly divisive, I think. We were talking about all of this in relation to critical race theory. And if we're a nation... Uh, like America has always been called the melting pot. If we're a nation of different peoples, different backgrounds, different religions, different, you know, you're going to have an issue with people coming together as a nation. There has to be some standard around which we can rally. And I think that the words of the declaration are quite perfect to rally around. Now, granted, I would prefer that we all rally around the scriptures, but that's not the reality of the America we're living in. We, we, there are Muslims in this nation. There are black people, white people. Uh, of course, when I say black people, white people, I just mean the standard description. We all are, are one human race. But to, to use the ideas of critical race theory is incredible, incredibly divisive. But there's one thing that we can rally around. We were talking about um, you were talking about the um, NFL protests and you understood why some of them would take a knee because of the history of the discrimination in their families, for example. And <laughs> you're a lot more forgiving than I am. I, I'll have to be honest because uh, <laughs> when I see them kneel during the anthem, I'm just uh, because, yeah. you know, it, th there has to be a, a level of grace there. We have to understand that this nation was established by imperfect people and we are imperfect people. But when you hear the words of the declaration where it says, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of ha goodness. That is just beautiful. I mean, we all ought to be Yahoo. Let's go ahead and try to make that happen. But we also have to give each other grace, right? I think I'm speaking particularly particularly to my dark brown friends out there, if you're listening to this podcast, the white man is not your enemy. They're imperfect, just like you are. And yes, back in the day, centuries ago, decades ago, even, they did not treat a lot of 
people right. Okay, you didn't treat a lot of people right too. We can be gracious one to another and be understanding as, as Josh and Marie are encouraging us to do and interact with one another with that kind of at least basic understanding of that you're dealing with imperfect people. And that's okay. We, we could have that grace. But, but see, here's what I see is happening. This actually goes to that same question about critical race theory in the church, because what's, what I see happening in the church is that you have believers now. Now, now we're going to talk about the world now. We're talking about believers who are pitting themselves against each other. If you don't talk about this race issue, then, then you don't care about the gospel and you're not really, it's, it's incredibly divisive. If you don't talk about these problems that we see in the media, then silence is, comp- is, comp- is what is it? Science is complicit or something along those mm, lines. Complicity. And, uh, complicity. Yes. Right. Uh, if you're not talking about it, then something's, and I'm just thinking if there's any entity or body on this earth that ought not to be divided along those lines. It's the church. And it, for me, it bothers me when I see that because that's not, that's not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. But that's an interesting point because what do you say? Because we want to say that, but we also don't want to look or overlook the history of the country because we can say, yes, right. yes. Um, all men are created equal, but the, some folks will come back and say, well, for the first 400 years or so of this country, the black man wasn't equal. Mm-hmm. And would, would you say that, you know, white privilege, critical race theory, and all these things are residue of slavery, segregation, and the evils of the past? So, I take the line of, and especially having gone through the Martin Luther King book recently, that the church should address these things. So I understand pastors who take a stance on both sides. And I, there are pastors that I respect on both sides, ones that address race in, in the church and what's going on in the church and ones that don't. And I've seen biblical points for both sides. I would have a hard time thinking that the Apostle Paul when dealing with Christians and what they're dealing with in their daily lives wouldn't address what they're dealing with in their daily lives. Like you're dealing with these racial tensions mm-hmm. or whatever, let's deal with them in the church. We should talk about them in the church. We should love each other in the church and feel free to express those things and all of that. Um, and work, help people work through it in a biblical way. Right. So one of my things going through the book right. was my astonishment at the church and the lack of effort by the church in general like there was more catholics involved in racial harmony than there were like the baptist churches and things like that and in in the towns that martin luther king went into they were doing sit-ins in all-white churches which means that the all-white churches didn't want them in there they were going against what they wanted and were sitting in their services to protest, which should never have happened. Yeah. It should never have been that way. The issue when the church doesn't address those things is it's just, it, it's like it's trying to hide something. The church should be fully ready and willing to, you know, even though a pastor has, has never been prejudiced towards people, he should be out there and saying, we don't want any of those prejudices to be anywhere in this church. We don't want any of that junk anywhere around. This should never have happened. It's contrary to everything Christ was about. And anything like that is not representative of Christ at all. And there should be, I I think there should be the... Mm -hmm the statement from the church in some way and i'm not saying from individual churches but in in as a whole there should be seen this very clear destruction of anything racist um there 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 should be none of those things that are even associated in any way and we should push them as far away from the church as possible and it's been one of the issues of the church over 
a long time. Not mm-hmm. and some of it is not necessarily feeling like we can express it in the same way because we don't go through the, you know, if it's a white pastor not feeling like he goes through the same things, you can have those things. But I think the church should, again, the, the church should have been at the forefront of so many things that it's not at the forefront of. This is the Removing Barriers podcast. We will be right back. Crossflix is a family-friendly channel with thousands of Christian films, including Christian movies, new releases, documentaries, and educational content. You can access the videos through their digital streaming network anytime, day or night. Whenever you watch a Christian video from Crossflix, you can feel confident that your family is watching inspiring, uplifting content that is clean and curated. For a limited time, Crossflix is available for the first 30 days for free, and you can cancel anytime, no questions asked. That's right. Get access to thousands of free Christian movies and Christian music online right now with your 30-day trial. Click on the link in the description section of this podcast to get Crossflix today. What should the church have been doing that they weren't, in your opinion? Like some, yeah, some practical ways. Before you jump into that, let me add my two cents to that because I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. Because, and this is one of the reasons why my wife and I started this podcast. Mm-hmm. Because the churches that are actually speaking out on some of these issues are the churches that I would describe that they are not Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, Bible-teaching, Bible-practicing churches. But the one, the churches that are Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, Bible-practicing, Bible-preaching churches tend to be more silent on these issues. And if when I look into Corinthians, the reason why Paul spoke to the Corinthians the way he did was because those are the issues that were affecting the, the church at Corinth. And many times we tend not to talk about the issues that affect our current society. These are the people that when we go out there, these are the people we're going to meet. These, these are the doors we're going to knock on. These are the people that we meet at work that we're trying to share the gospel with. And if we don't know how to remove these barriers of the from, from these folks, whether they hold to critical race theory or white privilege or they believe that they oppress or some, and they don't know how to respond, you don't know how to respond to someone like that or even to show them biblically why that might be wrong then we're doing ourselves a disservice because then we can't witness to anybody who is not what I will call have some kind of church background. And most of America today don't have a spiritual background. So we we are meeting more and more people who don't know who Jesus is, who don't know how, don't have any, you know, as I say in 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 the very first podcast, that they're Acts chapter 17. They're not Acts chapter 2, like the Jews that, I already know creation, I already know Christ, and the only thing that you know, you know, Peter had to remove was the fact that Jesus is Messiah. But we are talking about people in Acts chapter 17 now where you have to show them that God God is the creator. And it's the same thing in society today. We have to show people that, hey, Christ has solved these issues already. Christ has solved this the issue of critical race theory. Christ has solved the issue of whiteness and white privilege. But Unless we teach these things in our churches, how how would the people in the church know how to interact with someone over there? And again, I say I can't agree with you more because again, while I understand why a, pra- a preacher might say, you know what, I will preach, and as they come up in my sermon, I will mention it. But I think also that if we're going to if we're going to do that, and then the the churches that don't preach a gospel or the true gospel, quote unquote. Are bringing them up, who do you think the folks are going to gravitate to? They're going to go to the Al Sharpton and the Jesse Jackson out there who doesn't preach the gospel. Right. Yeah, and I, some of it I think is the, to get back to what I was saying in the practical, practical outworkings, some of it is the way that we structure church today. And you know, it also gets into just the aspect of the church's I believe very far from what it should be in so many ways. And in love is one of those ways. Like 
getting into people's lives, knowing what's going on in their lives, really investing in them, really finding mm -hmm. out, you know, the openness that the church is supposed to have. Like, like, like if our, our friends that we finally got to share with us, there, there should be no barriers between them sharing anything with, with any person in the church. Absolutely. There should be the humility and mm -hmm. the openness and to express things that are concerns, that are weights, that are all of that for the church to bear those burdens with them. But the church has gotten so far away from those things to where it's like we all have to be super Christians in some way or put on some face. Well, it makes us uncomfortable. Yeah. And, and instead of like, like in the reality of getting into mm -hmm. someone's lives, it's getting into the messy stuff right you know to really help someone it's getting into the messy stuff yeah and yeah. we we need to be a church like that but some of it is also the way church is structured in a general way where it's someone who preaches from a pulpit and there's very little interaction level like where you're you can express mm -hmm. those things in the body right if someone's struggling with it you we have to overcome the barriers of humility and then also of love to where someone feels comfortable with it. And that's, that's one step, but then you have to have some forum for it. Right. And it would probably happen in, you know, inviting someone over or mm -hmm. in a smaller group setting where people can feel freer to express those things. But those things have to be, understood through those means from the from the pew to the pulpit instead of everything coming from the pulpit to the pew it needs to be a full body right the mm -hmm. body is sharing together communicating together you know if, if this muscle is not communicating an issue mm -hmm. then the body will start to limp and and behave wrongly and no one will know why and so the parts of the body have to be communicating and and flowing and working together so that it knows the issues so that when there is pain in one, it all feels the pain instead of it just being isolated and no one ever knows about it because that's not the body, right? So there, there has to be some level of that interaction. Right. And then it coming through to leadership and then back down to a talking about it right talking through what people go through <clears throat> talking about the issues and approaching all of these things in in a united way and i think equipping people like mcg was saying about being able to have conversations with people who or outside the church you don't have any background in it and just equipping your people to know where they're coming from and understand and be able to speak to the issues of the day because these are significant issues like you know the guys at basketball wanting to talk about the issues that they're facing today yeah. and just how they they need someone to speak speak into that right now it Again, this gets back to the church being what it should be. In John 17, uh, he, he talks about, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if you have loved ones or not towards another, and that plays into it. But that where Christ prays that ye may be one as I and the Father are one, that the world may know that I have sent you. So the unity of the church is what really shows the power and the reality of Christ. When you can actually find a group of people, because we talked about this, you're not going to unite everyone in this country. And again, going through the Martin Luther King book, there were so so many divisions in the race movement early on it, from so many different groups, from people within the same groups, from jealousy uh, of people who wanted, who didn't think Martin Luther King should have the limelight or they thought he got too much limelight or there was, there was all kinds of divisions in it. And you never will find people mm -hmm. united together the way that you can find them united together in the church, because it's all with one heart, the heart of God, and all with one mind, the mind of Christ. 
and it all flows through the spirit that every true Christian has inside of them. And so when the church is really and truly united, then the world sees the difference. Mm -hmm. And then you will also see that when people come into the church or you talk about it and you point them to the church, then they can see, oh yeah, there's no issue with race there. There's no issue with anything like that there. You see love, you see people helping each other, building each other up, rebuking each other as it is needed, being there for each other in every way, shape, and form. And when you see that, there's there's no way you can go with it. You, you'll see society and you see the issues with society. And the issues with society will not be solved by any legislation. You, you will not find anything that's going to cure the woes of society because man is fallen. The heart of man is deceitful and desperately wicked. And it's going to continue to be that way until Jesus does the work to change it. But when Jesus does the work to change it, then it can be united into a body that's all one together. And all of those things are blown up. And I think that's a big part of the issue. You could say this is how it should be in the church because there should, you know, as, as Paul says, there should be nothing of that in the church. There should be all the barriers broken down, nothing in between. But until the church really gets on the ball to pray and to build it up and to be everything it ought to be, there will be struggles with that when presenting it to people out there in the world because they'll be like well why isn't your church like this and you could say well we're working towards it or we've actually seen it in a lot of ways but the church needs to really grow to be what it should be thank you for listening to get a hold of us or to support this podcast go to anchor.fm forward slash removing barriers this has been the removing barriers podcast we attempted to remove barriers so that we all can have a clear view of the cross